back to the wage of cinema yeah i got that little pop in there as if we actually have a you know a clapboard that's counting down or and jack know. saw the iron sky trailer so uh <laughs> now he knows that exists i i yes that is a thing and udo kier is still getting work so good for him yeah man uh, we can't have enough udo kier you, in the you world. have to harness that udacity <laughs> udacity uh the 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 kierschness <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I thought right. add Kier and Fierce and never mind. All right, so <laughs> oh, now I get it. All right, oh, what did you think I was trying? So to now do? we're gonna go on to our list movies yes. for this podcast. Yes, uh, this continues our series where Andrew watches movies I've told him to see, and I watch movies Andrew has told me to see, and their movies. It's that a vigorous the other struggle. It's it's the continuing struggle. The continuing story of a quack who's gone to the dogs. Uh, so, Jack, you go first this episode. Yes, I do. And, and what uh, was your what was your uh, film that I made you watch? The uh, movie that uh, I decided to pick from the list this week um, is a British horror film from the '60s, and this will actually also be the movie next week uh, that I or the next time I talk about. Uh, this is uh, called The Innocents. Right. Uh, this comes from uh, the director Jack Clayton, and um, oh boy, this movie! I, I co-written by uh, William Archib- uh, Archibald and, and Truman Capote. Truman Capote, uh, with a little bit of script polish, I read online from Harold Pinter. Oh right. Uh, he was actually apparently in a previous draft or a previous version, like in the play that this was originally based on. I mean, it was based on Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Right. But it was also a Broadway play as well. All right. So like Dracula. Two different sources. I guess. Yeah, Dracula was a play, wasn't it? Yeah, before it was a film. Uh, yeah. Um, but this, for, like, Harold Pinter told the, the director, like, because there are flashbacks. And he said, take those out. Because you want to try to keep it, you know, unclear as possible as to the, about these ghosts. Oh, yeah. Um, but I should explain first about... You know, the, the the in short term, the premise. Um, this woman, uh, uh, played by Deb- Deborah Kerr, is it Kerr or Kerr? Uh, I don't know. It's not Kerr. important, but she's Deborah her Kerr character is Miss Gibbons. Gibbons. Giddens. Giddens. Yes, you said Gibbons. Oh, all right. We got. It. We're gonna we're, don't. Let's not get caught up on pronunciation. Um, <laughs> she is a she. She loves children. She loves taking care of them. And she's hired by this guy who to take care of his two kids. He's a, an uncle to them. Yeah. Uh, I guess their parents had died. 
Yeah, or something they're like that? they're okay. orphaned. Yeah, the they're... uncle is taking care of him. But and he does because they're orphans. They have no parents. Right. Um. But he, he he's he's a he's a bachelor. He doesn't want to stick around. So he hires uh Miss Giddens as a governess. Yes. Just basically to be their mother. Yeah, to basically be there to take care of them, to educate them in some way. And originally, when she goes to their house, and this is big estate, and I'll I'll talk more about that in a second. But only the the girl is there, and that's uh Flora. Is yeah. that her name? Okay, Flora, and the boy was named... Uh, Miles. Miles, thank you, thank you. Um, she goes there, and you know, Flora's the only one there of the two kids at first. And she's a, this super nice, sweet girl. You know, she just likes to play. She has a little turtle. Very uh, British. Very British. Um, and, you know, they're also nannies and, that and other housekeepers. There's this one head nanny named Miss uh, Grobble, I think is her name. Grobel, oh, I'm gonna get that confused. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of names in here that we have all the pronunciation. I know, I know, I know. Um, but what happens is uh, that the boy comes back to the estate because he's been kicked out of school, um, and that's a little bit of a mystery that's held up for a lot of the movie. But there are bigger things than that. Well, the cheap thing is that, like Deborah Kerr, she keeps noticing something about these kids, and particularly the boy Miles, that. There's something a little bit strange about them, and she also starts noticing figures. Like she'll know, she'll think that she sees some guy at the top of uh, of uh, of the of their roof, right? And and she keeps asking people, "Don't you see that guy?" He's like, "No, who's that?" And I, one of the things that I think is very important with a horror movie, and this movie really reminded me of that and put it front and center. Uh, point of view is mm. very key. When you're watching a horror movie, often you have to have a kind of point of view about of, of the character of your or that you have in the center. So, I mean, when you watch The Shining, that's sort of split between through point of views. You know, Jack Torrance, Wendy, and the son. Here, it's all from uh, Miss Giddens' point of view. Yeah. So, but because of that, she it makes her just possibly, just slightly like an unreliable main character. Right. There's always the possibility in the movie that what she's seeing is not there. Yeah, like, she could be just losing her mind. And this is kind of brought up to her a couple of times. Like, well, maybe you aren't getting enough sleep. Maybe this or that is happening. And a couple of times early on, she's like, yeah, maybe, maybe that. But this is the film that I think has done that the best. Yeah. The I best mean, she, one I've ever seen. Well, that she, really makes a compelling case for either this is really happening or... She's crazy. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the the fact is, the one thing that she can't dispute, and nobody else can dispute, is that two people who worked at this estate died. And uh, they died under circumstances which it takes for a number of scenes for Miss Giddens to keep asking this housekeeper, uh, so how did they die? Why don't you just tell me why they died? And, like, this woman keeps saying, oh, no, that was in the past. They're dead. You know, what what can you do? Um <laughs> and it turns out that these two people, one of them was the former gov governess, I believe. Yes. And then the other guy was this other guy. Uh, he was the valet. He, yeah, he was the valet who was a big influence for Miles because he kind of was like a surrogate father. And there's a possibility that maybe they were former lovers. And uh, um, Well, they they say explicitly the, the oh, governess they were. and... Oh, okay, yeah. He, and Mr. Quinn. He yeah, was Mr. The valet. Quint. He, yes. Quint. He, uh, they were they were having an affair. Yeah, and so you're given a lot of this information, and what I like is that again, you're, you know, th this filmmaker is very smart by letting the audience figure out, you know, 
you know, do you, what, who do you side with? And it's never really clear. I think that when the movie came out, it wasn't a huge success. Cause I think maybe audiences sometimes need it spelled out for them. Yeah. It needs to be more like house on haunted Hill or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, and, uh, and the, but there are a lot of things here that make it that add to the mystery in a genuine way that I really liked because there's this song, for example, that this little thing that the little girl will hum, and then Miles will be playing on the piano. Yeah. I forget how to hum it exactly. Only the way that British children can hum creepy songs. <laughs> yes, that actually is the way the movie opens. By the way, and you that's hear that's this part humming of, over. That's the, part of that's that's where the sinister part of it comes from. We don't really see anything horrifying. Yeah, and it's not like the haunting, one of my favorite films of all time, where something supernatural clearly is going on. We see almost nothing crazy happen. No, it's more about it's like, more about uh, more this this reactions to ominous, omnipresent thing where you know. And the thing is, it's not just at night too. Like she'll be Deborah Kerr will be sitting with uh, the little girl, and then she'll be just looking out at some a field of reeds and she'll see like this woman in black. Yes. And she'll be like, wait, wait, who's that? I love those things. Oh yeah. Here's the thing I love. You know, I hate pure creepy atmosphere. You know, I hate jump scares. This movie is devoid of that. I hate jump scares because you don't, you know, you made a loud noise suddenly and I jumped up. Yeah. Big deal. Anyone you made can me do spill that. my popcorn. Right. Thanks. It doesn't require a lot of skill. It's nothing. But when you see something in the background mm -hmm. of a shot, yeah. or if you see something kind of far away that you can't really see clearly because it's far away, mm -hmm. I, you don't have any close-ups of any of the strange things. Yeah. And when it's really distant, you, you, really scrutinizing, you really scrutinize it as an audience member yeah. and try to figure out what you're looking at. And it's, that's way creepier than any sort of loud noise. But a lot of this is emphasized by... Again, the filmmaker doesn't pull this whole, yes, this is what was happening to Giddens and the children and so on. Right. It's never that clear. And there's a lot of strong, convincing writing. And because it's very gradual, too. Like, you know, and, she, you know, there are a couple points where you want, like, another writer might have come in and made the kids just flat out evil. Right. And this, the filmmaker doesn't and, do that. And we just assume they're evil because they're so British. <laughs> they're so. Not even so much the British, but they're kind of like they're they're polite, but there's just something in their eyes at times. There's something. There's something. Uh, uh, you can't totally trust their intention. No, you can't trust them at all. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that happens. And um, I should mention that, by the way, uh, when you talk about that things in the background, there's a little piece of trivia that I thought was fascinating. Where there's one shot where. I guess it's on Deborah Kerr's eyes or something. And if you look really close, you can almost see a reflection of the clapboard uh, for a moment. Huh. And Jack Clayton was told, you know, you know, you could see a reflection. She's like, no, no, I want to keep that. It'll throw the audience off a little bit. <laughs> and, um, I certainly yeah. noticed. And I like that, you know, again, a lot of it comes down to just having good convincing characters. And Deborah Kerr is this person who, you know, keeps, you know, she feels very convinced, you know, I have to, help these children but the problem is they're corrupted they're they're filled with this as she calls them abominations yeah of these evil spirits and what i like too is how she's sort of um there you know there's miss gross the, the other woman she you know says it for, you know she says she believes her and yet you know she's 
is very much like she can't really make up her mind and she's very much easily led. I feel like she's almost like more the audience in a way than the audience would like to admit. They're the person who tries to look away from bad things when they happen, like, and try to forget about them. She was there when these people died, but she acts like, well, all right, well, these things happen, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, but uh, but it's hard to decide. I mean, I've seen this film before. Okay, and you know, and in, in the first running, I took basically things for what they what uh, the way they were presented. The house was haunted, and there were uh, and there were ghosts. This time, I was able to look at it from more of an example of all right, maybe this isn't real. Yeah, and it was it's still super compelling yeah. in that way. It's, it's a made. It's like the movie is kind of a ride, but in like a psychological sense. But let's talk about psychology for a second. Okay, because. I feel like there's something missing in here that may have been present in present in the novel and the play, in what but way? things that are but there's something uh, that's hinted at in this, and the, the role of basically sex and sensuality. Okay. All right. Bear I with me they're... for a second, because I'm going to try to explain this. Uh, Miss Giddens, she's she's set up. She's a person who's never left home. This is like her first job as a governess. Oh, is this supposed to be a first job? I thought yeah. she had done it before. No, this is like her first job. Oh, okay. She says that to the uncle right off the bat. Oh, right, yeah. I, well, I think in the original story she was younger, and yet I think maybe that they got Deborah Kerr, even though she is older, the idea was that um, maybe that would almost add a little bit of something different to the sexual nature. Well, there's no uh there's no <coughs> denying that she does a great job. Yeah. But there it's this unspoken thing where the previous governess and the valet, they had an affair, which mm-hmm. was quite blatant. Yes. And there's Miles who comes back and he is very precocious. Mm. Not in a sexual way, but he talks He likes to be he wants to be the man of the house. Yeah, but also he sa- he calls uh he calls Miss Giddens my dear and says she's pretty and asks her to kiss it. <laughs> oh yeah, and then he makes a big thing when when the, the the climax of the movie is that she wants to try to confront the spirit by just having Miles and Miles alone in the house. Yes, yeah, and it's and significant. When up, and when he shows up, he's like, "Ooh, it's just us. I feel like the men around here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, there's that moment too where they kiss on the lips. Yeah, <laughs> and, Appar- and, and, and they hold that kiss for for much longer than than in a lot of other movies. Executives had a little bit; they felt a little bit uneasy when they uh, when they first saw that. Well, yeah, the, but that's intentional. Movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. And there's a reason why she stays at the end of the movie. She stays back with Miles and not Flora. Mm-hmm. I mean, Miles it, it acts in this very presumptuous way. Presumably, he's learned. The, this behavior from Quint when he was alive. Yeah. But, and you know, is he under the influence of the spirit? It's really not the point. De- uh, Miss Giddens, she's clearly not a person who's confronted sex before. Yeah. Well, she also now raised she's in char- a religious background. Yeah. And so. now she's, not, she's in charge of these children, children who aren't hers. Mm. And she, you know, she's under this incredible amount of pressure and, you know, she thinks that the children are corrupted, but she doesn't really seem to realize that children aren't, perfect they're people mm-hmm. she and you know they have their own secret lives and thoughts and things so but i feel like there was a lot more s- content that dealt more directly with the sex that didn't make yeah. it into this film script mm-hmm. well the whole title of the innocents you could say i mean it's not just the children it's about like a big note that i took watching this movie is that um you know because this movie's not just a haunted house movie it's about so many things and part of it i think is 
we always try to be good people. I think that's kind of like a fundamental thing, unless if you're like a sociopath or something, yeah, uh, or Hitler. Um, you try to be, you want to be a good person. You want to try to put your best face on, and you know, and Deborah Kerr's character loves children. She loves how they play, how they wonder, the goodness in them. But what if they aren't good? Yeah, and so that's like, like a lot of children. <laughs> yeah, what if they're brats? What if they scream for a while if bad things happen? And um. And I think that was something that psychologically I felt was very compelling with this movie. And once she finds out that Miles has been expelled from his school, that's when yeah. that's when she begins to feel that things are wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know, and sometimes kids do get kicked out of school. Yeah, sometimes they do bad things. Yeah, but the, but the thing is too. I mean, she's also someone who, like, imagine for example, if this was like Mary Poppins in this mm. job. You know, she would not put up with any of their crap. No, like she would be a lot. I pictured her from, from what I remember about Mary Poppins. She was a lot stricter with those kids. Yeah. But, Whereas Deborah Kerr, she doesn't quite know how to deal with no, that. No, she lacks firmness. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when she finally does get firm with uh, Thor, with Flora, she just freaks out. Yeah. And you don't know at first, like, all right, this maybe this is the spirit. I mean, because she's freaking out a lot. Yeah. But maybe she's just freaking out because it's like, I haven't really been confronted by this. So... Lots of fascinating stuff in this movie. Extremely well made. I have to mention really fast, Freddie Francis is the cinematographer. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Yeah. He also shot the Elephant Man, by the way. In the back. Ah, that bastard! (laughs) All right, time. Oh, yeah. That was a great one, man. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. The Innocents. All right, now it's my turn. Yes. A movie that I have somehow put off for most of my life. Yeah, um, although you've, I'm sure, heard about it and seen clips of it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you, you can't hear a word about Werner Herzog without knowing about this film. I, and that film is Fitzcarraldo with Klaus is, Kinski. It is the movie I made about the man going up the mountain with a boat. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's really, um, it, there's a lot more to it than that. This is uh, a story of a man named uh, Ryan Sweeney Fitzgerald, who's yes. called, and he's known. He lives in uh, South America, his, in in uh, Peru. His nickname is uh, Fitzcarraldo. Right. I just uh, but said I think that. yeah, but 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 we should. But I think that the natives call him that. Like I don't think he ascribes that name to himself. But anyway, he he's he, there in the jungle with um, Claudia Cardinale, right? Who's his wife? Yes. And they, and in the first scene of the movie, they have been paddling two days to see en- uh, Enrico Caruso, the famous opera singer. Yeah. And at first, they don't get in. I think they try to get into this concert, and they're at first they don't. Isn't yeah, there but a then bit of a problem. Yes, but then one of the uh, ushers lets them in. They don't have tickets. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and they get to see Caruso <laughs> singing and. Fitzcarraldo's big uh, ambition in life is to open up an opera house in his hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, of course, is dumb because no <laughs> one in his town wants an opera house. Just no, him. Yeah, he, and he, he tries to do all these schemes. He tries to open a, a railroad to earn the money to buy to build the opera house. He tries to sell ice, which nobody needs. Yeah. So he finally hits on a plan. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell rubber. Yeah, because it all comes order, down to money. Right. And in order to do this, he has to take the rubber on a boat back to the town to sell. Yes. The problem is, he has to go down one river, and in order to make his plan work, he has to get the boat up the up a mountain into another river, and then sail back upstream. Yeah, well, that's some, somehow how the geography works with that. I forget if he... 
I don't think he makes it more complicated for himself. I think that's like literally the only way that he it can is get it, done. It, it is the it is physically the only way he can accomplish this. Yes, exactly. And this sets up the real heart of the movie: the effort to get the boat over the mountain. Yeah, I mean now. It should be mentioned that's not the entire movie. No, like going this, into like going into this, I thought that was all the movie was about. And if you, I don't know if you hear the car alarm in the background. I think that's the Klaus Kinski out there is setting it off. Um, but uh, the point, but but really, it's it's kind of a, it's more about opera in the jungle and kind of. Um, and I, I hope I'm not aping something that uh, the Welcome to the Basement guys said, but you know, bringing art into a place where there is no art. Or, you know, it's all about these, you know, these natives in the, in these tribes, they just have their rituals, they, they hunt, they gather, they live and die. They don't really have that creative expression that comes out of their soul. And that's what Fitzcarraldo is bringing. Well, I saw more of it, I mean, you could read into this And about civilization meeting the untamed. But I think more... Uh... What the film is essentially about, it's about Fitzcarraldo trying to get this opera house. It's all about his struggle. Yes. Now, is that struggle successful? Ultimately, no. Mm. But I think it's more about through that struggle of him realizing something in himself, even if he doesn't realize what that is. Yes. He goes through this whole scheme to get rubber from this plot of land, and that involves moving the boat over the mountain. And he does it, but it ultimately doesn't work out. Yes. But he's still gotten the boat over the mountain. And he gets back home and he has this great line. Uh, like he's talking about like the first man to see Niagara Falls and he's, and people don't believe him. And they ask him, where's your proof that these giant waterfalls exist? And it says, the proof is that I've seen them. Mm. And in a way, that's a failure because he wasn't able to convince anybody that these things actually exist. But still, he went there and saw them. And Fitzcarraldo, though, he doesn't get the rubber back to, and and he doesn't have a successful business. But he moved a freaking boat over a mountain, not by yeah. himself, but yeah. it's all it's thanks to him. Yeah, yeah. He, uh... I it just it's just the you know it's just the idea of even if you fail, mm-hmm. that you that somehow by doing great things that do fail, you have somehow conquered something in yourself. Yeah, I mean, and at the same time, you could say that the I almost think of it as kind of like an operatic documentary style epic because of how how much, well, it's like, you know, you have like these moments where, you know, you have all these shots where they show the boat going through on this river and it, you know, the music is playing that, uh, Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald is playing on it on the boat. He's playing the Caruso records. He's playing the Caruso records over and over again. And yet, the way that Herzog shoots it, it's not in a kind of, it, it is in a grandiose kind of way, but there's also like such a realism to it because he has all these real natives there. Yeah. He's using, he's there in the jungle. It's a real boat. And in a way, Kinski kind of becomes like the director when he, as himself, when he's ordering these people around to get them to move the boat. Yeah. But I mean, and I mean, so it they, has, they, it takes on the form of a documentary, even well, though it is well, like let, this fiction Let's not story. get it confused with the documentary actually made about the making no, of no, Fitzgeraldo. No, but, no. but in the film, when you see natives clearing the land and setting up yeah. these mechanisms to get this boat over the yeah. mountain, that's natives 
clearing the land and making the mechanism to get this boat over the mountain. Yes. It it blurs the lot. It's where the film and the and real yeah, life that's, actually that's, meet. That's more what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And like also, he's also like Herzog's dealing with, uh, you could say maybe a bit of like the, a God complex, like an Aguirre. Only this is, there's a little bit more irony, I think, in this one. It's not as dark as Aguirre oh, was. Oh, no. Um, you know, because like, you know, Aguirre didn't have like that scene where, uh, you know, Kinski's at like the, the, the party early on and tries to play the opera and gets in a kind of fight. Or it doesn't have that scene where the, the opera is being staged on his boat. Yeah. There's no happy ending for Aguirre, the wrath of God, yeah. nor should there have been. No. Whereas this is more about trying to fulfill your dreams, you know, no matter how crazy they might be. Yeah. And, um... You know, I feel like he Herzog gets a lot out of his actors and non-actors and, and the locations itself. You know, maybe on paper it didn't seem like much, but when he gets there, just how he uses the camera and gets all these places, you know, shows this boat on this river. Yeah. Um, actually, if that... I had one small fault with the movie, it was that maybe when... And this isn't a big problem because it's still kind of cool, but in that when the boat is getting into like the big into the rapids as uh, having, you know, it's almost, you think it's, oh, it's, it's going to fall over. It's obviously a miniature. It is, Yeah. It looks like a total model. And yet it's That's like, because it is, I guess it is, but it's just so obvious. And it's, it's because of the water, but I mean, that's not the point. They couldn't safely do that scene. No, I they, guess they not. would have wrecked their boat. No, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I know that, I guess it just was funny to me because of how much Herzog was, because <laughs> Herzog could have done the boat over the mountain with a miniature, but he was very adamant about, no, it must be a real boat. I'm, you but must in, see the boat being moved. I'm, but in the end, isn't that what we talk about? We yeah. always talk about the boat. No that, one cares about the scene with the rapids. I'm, yeah. Once we've gotten the boat over the mountain, there's nothing you can do to make to distract us from how awesome the film is. Yeah, and it's <laughs> funny that, like... Any other action film, the scene with the boat in the rapids would be like the major set piece. Yeah, that would have been. But the that's climax. almost. But that's almost like the afterthought. Like the whole movie is leading up to that boat over the mountain. Right. And uh, and how much and you know you can it's like you can feel because you know, sometimes a movie will be a little bit like a, the do, it'll almost appear like the documentary of how it was made while you're watching it. Right. You could feel that watching Fitzcarraldo in a way. Now here's a, here's the thing that I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. Actual Peruvians yeah. built this movie, uh -huh. more or less. Yeah. And he had to negotiate with these tribesmen. Uh, also, Herzog, by the way, wrote a book about the experiences in uh, in this area. I think it was called Iquitos. I might be making that totally wrong. And it was called Conquest of the Useless. <laughs> um, so uh, it was a pretty good book. I recommend it. But what are you going to say? Uh it this is one of the things that made me reflect because I mean, it's a, it's that moment where real life and the movie come together. Yeah. And I'm like, man, did these people ever, did they, these people really get exploited or mm. <laughs> and I, I, I'm beginning, I'm trying, I'm trusting that Werner Herzog paid them, paid them, but it seemed like a whole lot of work yeah. just to do. I mean, it looks like hard work in the film. So I presume yeah. that it was in real life. And, uh, and you know, I, you know, knowing the history of exploitation in in, yeah. in South America, it's one of those scenes that kind of makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yeah. Uh, well, again, it takes on that such a level of realism. You almost feel like 
you could just be watching these natives building something else that doesn't have to do with the movie. But then, but then it cuts back to the boat, and you're I like, think, okay. I think it's just equal. It's it just makes it stranger that you know they had to clear this whole section of jungle and it, just to get a yeah. boat over it. Well, and, and it makes it even like even it makes you even look at it twice because I mean it's just a thing for a movie. Yeah, we're we're gonna take this boat over the mountain just for a movie, and we're gonna hire all these people to do really hard work for it. <laughs> well, also there's the whole thing of uh, you know the jungle itself. You know, and, and when you watch Burden of Dreams, uh, Herzog talks at length about, you know, how vile and how much he detests the jungle or that, or how he says, you know, but I love the jungle just against my better judgment. And uh, that that was a feeling and, that I really got from Aguirre, the wrath of God, because in yeah. those first scenes, you see men in armor up to their waists in mud. Yeah. And you know that the cameraman is also up to his waist. In it's mud. so ugly. And like and you could you could pa- practically feel the insects buzzing around <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. He, like, he's this must of, have been the shoot from hell. He's sort of <laughs> rendering Herzog's rendering his own feelings about the jungle on film. Yeah. And getting the the muck and the grime of it. So there's a- this film, uh, Fitzcarraldo. I didn't quite feel that so much. I f- mainly because I think it, it was a more but- it was a less dark film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was trying to be a little bit more hopeful. It was less about you know. It was less about folly. Yeah, it's different conquests. This one, you could you could maybe argue that his that his whole journey to try to get opera in the jungle has an element of folly to it. But at least you want to see that happen. He's not out there, like Aguirre is out there to kind of conquer like native people and be and, the biggest dick possible. And you know, and also, <laughs> doesn't he like say, "I am Aguirre, the wrath of God. I will, uh, I will marry my fifteen-year-old. I will marry my daughter and find a, found a, a new <laughs> dynasty." And then like tells the little monkeys with him, "Who's with me?" <laughs> If you don't see it right now because it's audio, but Andrew is just making a face and acting like he was looking at a monkey. Um, and Kinski, of course, he's Kinski. Yeah. He's he's one of the most intense actors I think that the medium has ever had. You know, I mean, at his best. Oh, he's intense. Also... <laughs> I think I think way... I think whenever you talk about Klaus Kinski, you automatically have to include the word intense. Well, even when he's not doing anything, he looks intense. Yeah. When he's just sitting there watching the opera and you're looking at him with those big eyes, you know. And that massive forehead. You know, him and Al Pacino, I think, are the actors who do like 80% of their acting with their eyes. Mm. Um, But it's it's a total, it's a, in a way, it's a similar movie to Aguirre. Because it's a river movie about going into river, the heart yeah. of, about going into the heart of a the river jungle movie and, with natives, and... right? Uh, but I mean, on one hand, Aguirre Kalaskinski is reprehensible, mm-hmm. megalomaniacal. Yeah. In Fitzcarraldo, you really identify with him as this somewhat pitiful character who's who spends all his wife's money on these ridiculous schemes. Yeah. Oh, there's one line. It's like. He he rushes into the house with all the maps, oh, yeah, and yeah. his wife runs a whorehouse, by the way. Oh yeah, and <laughs> he says, "You have to stake me every red cent." He says, "Not again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so it's a little bit more. It's just, but but this still slightly more hopeful for the future. He, he's the same obsessed character, except we like him so much better in Fitzcarraldo rather than than. Aguirre. Yeah, in, well, it's easier. Other it's, it's easier to identify or feel sympathy for like a kind of hopeless dreamer as opposed to somebody who is going to again stop at the judgment. Yes. <laughs> um, 
So, um, you look like you're looking at something. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't know. What, what other thoughts do you have about the movie? Hmm. I could probably watch footage of that boat going up the mountain yeah. with, with uh, Caruso playing, like, for 15 hours. That would be a great thing to put in a museum, to just have that on a loop. Like one of those art installations. You and know you, what somebody and did? That, and you have that great shot of Kinski when he's trying... I think the natives are going to try to... I don't know if they're going to attack a boat, but they're following the boat. And then they know they're there. And he puts on the Caruso record. And he puts record, on the And player. he's just standing there and looking at them. And, the sh- and there's a shot that just kind of follows him looking at people. That's yeah. like one of the most epic shots in the history of cinema to me. Yeah. It's... You know, somebody made a, a a remake of Fitzcarraldo, where everything is just done in cardboard. Oh, they even made a cardboard puppet of Werner Herzog talking, <laughs> like uh, about the, about the jungle, like marionettes. It's, well, not, not exactly, more like a muppet. But this exists on YouTube. I'm going to show it to you. Oh boy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's one of Herzog's best movies. I think it carries it's... a lot of punch. I, mean, I I can't say it's his best because, I mean, there's so much. But, I mean, it's the film he's going to be known for. Time. So. So, those are our two movies. The Innocents and Fitzcarraldo. Yes. If you have a, a terrible burden of dreams or possibly madness, why don't you check out these films? <laughs> Tell yeah. us what you think. Yeah, if you're beset by Klaus Kinski or... Sexual possibly... repression. Or, then, then, then you know, let us know. Uh, email us at wagesofcinema. At well, well, don't tell us about the sexual repression. We <laughs> we work in movies. Go to your therapist. We we just talk about movies. Um, and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, check for the Wages of Cinema podcast. And we're also on Stitcher. Uh, so if that's something that uh, is a thing for you, check us out on there. And you can leave us a comment on Facebook. We're at the Wages of Cinema podcast. And uh, you can send questions to me on Twitter at Jack Gatinella. And um, yeah, and maybe I'll set up uh, uh, a Twitter for Wages Cinema soon. That'd be maybe great. That, that'd be a, maybe a good idea. That'd be good. Let's get some followers. Let's get some people out there. You yeah. Know, it'll be, uh, yeah, Wages Cinema. You can follow us. That'll, that'll, that'll be a thing you'll hear about soon. Uh, so when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about horror movies, but a very specific kind of horror movie. See ya!